0: Thank you for coming and um, practicing. Um, and it's such a pleasure to see all the faces from this position. <laughs> I feel so honored um, to meet every one of you in this way. Um, hi. Um. This is really um I'm excited. Um, because I feel like the Sangha is uh, Opening. Um, is it too low? More, I think it's, is it a little hard to hear back? A little yeah, so we'll get, we'll okay. The volume so you okay. Can you hear me? Maybe I need to raise a little bit more the voice. Um, <clears throat> th- that sangha is opening. Opening um, means that we're breathing in and out and allowing everything to come forward and meet together. And I feel this way, <coughs> especially after the workshop that we did a couple of weeks ago. It was called um, What's Left Out? Um, Spiritual-Cultural Bypassing in Western Convert Buddhism. um, May I ask who were there for this workshop? Okay, so not even half of us, um, yet, this uh, workshop I felt was such an awakening experience for all of us. For me, it was, it was a huge relief. I actually, like, just my tears just came, came up after the workshop. I didn't expect it. But it was a relief. The tears were the tears of relief. Because for the first time, I felt like I saw people of color together with white folks in the same room, in a big circle. And I realized how me, this person here, (laughs) um, come from Japan, um, has a lot of history, Uh, my ancestors have history, uh, with Western world. And how my positionality here as a Japanese person, um, being taught by white amazing teachers, that without knowingly, I had taken on this kind of stress um, that I, I didn't really contact into. And the stress was coming from that I was a minority, that um, like I felt like um, everywhere I go, um, it was white space. So when this workshop happened, um, this was kind of a surprise to me that I just felt really good to be supported by all the voices You know, I mean, I love white voices as well. I love POC voices as well. But you know, the Sangha is represented with all of us. Nothing excluded. And when we see a space where we see only white people, that's a problem. Especially when we're studying Dharma, right? Because Dharma is, (coughs) Essentially, right? This is a dharma. We call this in Buddhism dependent co-arising, teaching of dependent co-arising. And teaching of dependent co-arising is that all of us in our form and shape, particularity, right. everybody looks very different, gender, sexuality. These have a wide spectrum. And all these differences, it doesn't happen by itself. But there's no fixed one thing right here. Me, Asian, appears to be Asian, appears to be female. And all that comes with this embodiment. So I'm talking about what arises through this experience of me being female and Asian. this body and mind carried through um, throughout histories of wars, you know, Second World War, where the bombing happened in Japan. And I didn't experience that myself. My ancestors did. My mom and dad did experience that. And how did that affect me? And that kind of stuff is so embodied in each of our bodies. Everybody has particularity in the history. So to be open to to, um, welcome this teaching of dependent co-arising means that you understand that everything uh, happens in relationship with each other, including our past, including our present and future. What a wonderful teaching. This is the core of our teaching, that our heart is not just here and separate from each other, but we are one heart. It's kind of easy to say, (laughs) right? And it's kind of encouraging to hear, too, you know, we're one heart. Um, I started reading this book by Ruth King, mindful of race. (laughs) And the first thing that she says is pretty much that. Racism is a heart introduction. It's an introduction. Racism racism is a heart disease. Did you know that? (laughs) And it's curable. So that's kind of encouraging. But you know what happens when we start opening our hearts like that to include everyone? So in this workshop, we started opening our hearts, right? And what immediately happened, and it's so crazy, is that it's like this. When we start talking about racism, things gets triggered right away. It's like five minutes into the workshop or 10 minutes into the workshop, I, I didn't count. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like right away that the sparks start flying. You know, all the emotions come out. You know, around fear, we get scared. We get humiliated. There's a rage, anger, frustration that comes. And numbness, too. You know, some people are completely numb to it, blind to it. You know, they're like, what what are they talking about? That used to be me, actually. Coming from Japan, I always felt, well, maybe this talk about racism only applies to white folks and black folks. And so exploring and really inquiring what this is all about was for me an awakening experience. All these emotions, very intense emotions come up in this conversation. You know why? Why this is so triggering? Because it's like someone is coming into the room and saying, look at this. Look at this, what's this? And what's this? What's this that we're looking at? It's so painful to look at this because we're talking about massive, right? Massive grief, massive pain that we have been killing each other, that we have been dividing each other. For the first time, I felt deep grief Around my ancestors being bombed. I've always felt pained about it, sad about it. But that was too hard to look at for me to actually feel this wipeout 400,000 people wipeout. It's a trauma. And it's not like there's judgment here, you know? This is just what happened, and it's real. So it's so painful for all of us to look at it because we're no longer saying racism, pain, this massive thing right here is here. We're not saying that when we're looking at racism. We're saying that this Thing is here. That's why it's so painful. Because we're not objectifying this anymore. We're saying that this pain starts all here. That's why it's a heart disease. So we do need a courage to do this together. And I wanted to offer um, something encouraging when we're looking at this. And I thought, well, I've been thinking about that. And I have so many books with me today. Another, the second book is called The Way of Tenderness. This is a wonderful book. Such just collection of amazing wisdom here by um, Zenju Earthland Manuel. She actually visited the center, I think like three years ago. and she has been suffering, she's a teacher now, Zen teacher, but she has <laughs> done a lot of sits, I bet. And um, her excruciating pain came from the, her locationality of being a black person. And being a lesbian, so the oppression that came with that kind of um, identity was humongous for her. So she had to sit with that rage and anger for years and years and years, I assume. And um, finally, uh, this is the word that I feel so encouraging. So she questions to herself. How could I meet disrespect or disregard with tenderness? So this was her koan. You know, what 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 does tenderness look like? Feels like, right? Because the way of tenderness. How do I um, embody that? And her name Zenju means complete tenderness. So this was a name given to her to encourage. Um, her path. So how could I meet disrespect or disregard with tenderness? How could I trust it? How can I be tender when there is war? How can I not be tender when there is war? When I contemplated being tender in this way, I realized that it did not equal quiescence. And quiescence, I guess people probably know in this room, but I had to look it up. (laughs) And it means inactivity or dormancy. It did not mean that fiery emotions would disappear. It did not render it acceptable that anyone could hurt or abuse life. Tenderness does not erase the iniquities we face in our rel- relative and tangible world. I'm going to read through this a little bit because it's really good. I am not encouraging a spiritual bypass of the palpable feelings that we all, we experience. The way of tenderness is an intangible elixir for the clogged arteries in the heart of our world. I say that complete tenderness is an experience of life that trusts the fluidity of our life energy and its extension into those around us. This is important, next uh, paragraph sentences. On the way of tenderness, we allow rage and anger to flow in and out again, in and out again, in and out again. <coughs> Instead of holding on to it as proof of being human, we can let go of stockpiling our rage for fear that our suffering might go unrecognized or that will appear apathetic or naive. I say that a liberated tenderness is a way of lessening and finally removing the potency of our tragic pasts as sentient beings. I think it's really good. We can't let this happen, right? This division. Because we can't. It's, Tenderness is not to erase inequities. But we still need to stand up for it, you know? And that opening of our pores, the opening of our pores moving in and out of anger and still holding this experience, really questioning what's happening in this body right here, right now. And ultimately, communing with the trust of this land, of this earth, of this heart. And this is where we get kind of tripped, right? When we get so angry, when we get so outrageous, frustrated, and it's kind of flames, you know? It comes to me very frequently with my son. And it's this kind of speed that it comes, you know? And it wipes us out. So I've been thinking about this fire, this quality of fire. And I really like this in and out and in and out image that she's talking about. Because it's not about repressing this fire. It's actually going through it, right? Feeling it, embodying it, just tasting, right? How does that feel like with your mind? What thoughts come up? What does it feel like in your body? You know, where do you feel it? Can you feel this body as it is, as it's heated? And is this permanent? How am I feeling? Is this true? Can I stay with it a little longer? Can I breathe with it? Is this really fixed, this anger? And this is the juice of our practice, mindfulness. Um, in Jules' um, Mira Samadhi, some of you guys know about this um, sutra. Um, written by Tozan Ryokai. Um, He's Chinese, right? Yeah. And there's a, a, a paragraph or a sentence that we often refer to in this tradition. I he- heard it many times. Turning away and touching are both wrong, right? We're talking about this fire that comes to us. For it is like a mass of fire. So when we're meeting this incredible tornado of emotions. And by the way, Tozan Ryokai here, when he's talking about it here, he's actually pointing to suchness. He's saying turning away and touching are both wrong for um, suchness is like massive fire. So suchness, um, and we talk about this a lot in Zen too, is the. When we translate that, it just literally means the way as it I- is, the feeling as it is, the life as it is, this body as it is. So this feeling as it is, you can't turn away from it. You can't oppress it. But you, can also, you can't also also touch it and, and just get stuck in it. Be consumed by this fire, so you become fire itself. It's, it's almost like um, you can't touch it, but you come close to it, very close to it. This whole pain, right, this grief that we hold, we all embodied as, as people here. We're going closer and closer and closer to this massive grief. Are we up for this? <laughs> this is what we're talking about when we talk about race. We're talking about, can we do this together? It's so painful, but can we do this together? Can we trust this? Um, trust is key, I feel like, in this process. The process is our practice. The process is the trust. The, as we trust we move on, we keep walking and we trust and we keep walking and we trust and we keep walking and walking is an act of trusting. So um, I want to um, encourage all of us to uh, revisit ehe koso hotsuganmon in this process. I'm just checking the time, okay. This hotsuganmon is amazing hotsuganmon. I I feel like this is so encouraging when we look at race. So this is written by Dogen and hotsuganmon means, Um, in Japanese it's written hotsu, hotsu means like emit um, something arising and gan means to wish for or to hope for and you can also almost feel into this kind of prayer kind of mode and mon is sentences so Hotsugamon is like your, this is dependent core rising right here, Hotsugamon, because you're not, you're, you're acknowledging that, okay, I'm, this is my locationality right now, this is true, and yet, I'm opening myself up. I'm emitting myself, rising with this body, calling for help, calling all the bodies, calling mahasappas Bodhisattvas, all our ancestors, all of them, wake up, please wake me up, please wake me up, please wake us up, right, as collective. And when I started thinking about Hotsugamon in this way, this was, ex- I got really excited because I felt, this is Bodhicitta. Hotsugamon is actually um, calling for Bodhicitta you know, asking, please support us in this bodhicitta process together. And um, as I was looking through this in Japanese, too, um, so here, uh, revering Buddhas and ancestors, we are one Buddha and one ancestor. Awakening body mind, we are one body mind. So bodhi mind is exactly, literally translated as bodhicitta. So this... Um, Hotsugamon is really, um, it's kind of like igniting this fire on yourself, like a rocket. And then you're like, please let this energy come through us, all of us, to hold this together, to awaken together. And I find this uh, first part of this um, Hotsugamon to be so inspirational. And I want to share with this. We vow with all beings. We just chanted this. We vow with all beings. So what's vowing here? When we vow here, we are saying to ourselves, I'm making a commitment. I'm going to engage myself. And I'm engaging myself from the most sincere place. So what is your most sincere place right now, at this moment, in your body? Can you access to that when we vow? (coughs) When we vow, are you engaged right now? Where's the most, from the most insincere place of your being? (coughs) With all beings we vow, from this life on, throughout countless lives, so we're recognizing here with this Hotsugamon that, yes, we don't exist by ourselves. We think we did, right? We thought that the self existed right here. But actually, it feels like that life is connected, that we all are affecting each other every moment, that nothing is perfect, perfect or permanent. And we vow, we're completely engaged with this life to hear the true dharma. Hear the true dharma. Can you hear it? Can you hear it right now? <coughs> this hearing is our practice. This just summons up the, the all of our practice right here. We're hearing this with, from most sincere place. We open up ourselves so that we can listen deeply and welcome. So when we're talking about um, race, we hear what's happening as we converse in the room, right? When the um, emotions rise up between us, We uh, inquire within ourselves, and also we listen to each other. We listen as if we're meeting this person like ourselves. That's how we listen. And we make an intention to do that over and over and over again. And if our attention um, goes away, um, gets distracted, we pull it back again to meet again, again and again and again. And when we can't do that, and we respond, we react, then um, we apologize. And that's a good thing about it, you know, because we, there's always chance for apologizing. And it says here in the Hotsugamon too, when we repent, we repent in this way, confess and repent, One never fails to receive profound help from all Buddhas and ancestors. So I would like to um, recommend um, RAIN practice here. Um, Ruth King talks about RAIN when we're doing this race practice, race conversation practice. And some of us may know what RAIN is, Um, The RAIN is actually acronym, R-A-I-N, and it's developed by a Vipassana teacher. And the R stands for recognizing. A stands for allowing. I stands for investigation, investigating. And N stands for non-identification. And uh, Ruth King actually says that Um, And for her, now, rather than non-identification, nurture feels uh, a good idea. So when we recognize, when we're talking about race, um, first thing you do is you inquire. So what's happening? What's happening? What's happening here? What's obvious in this moment, noticing and naming. And that's very helpful, I think, too, because sometimes a lot of things happen at the same time and we get confused, you know? This has happened this and here and here. And so then just to stop that moment and to label and name, I think it's important, this process. And then we move on to another one called, allow. When we allow, she says here that um, something you can ask yourself is, can I be with what's happening? Can I welcome this? Can I say, yes, it's like this right now. This is my experience right now, and yes. (coughs) Of course, this is hard. (laughs) You can say that too. And yes, this too, you can say that too. And then you go into investigation. This is the juice when you start to investigate. And when you start to investigate, you start to investigate your mind. And um, you start to investigate what's going on in your mind when you're experiencing this. Are there any pattern to this? When does this emotions happen? She has a lot of good ways to um, um, inquire here. How am I relating to what's happening? Am I trying to, this is what's happening right now. Am I pushing it away or am I engaging in it too much? What racial views or belief are fueling suffering in this moment? What impact is my experience having on my heart, body, and mind? What assumptions am I making? Do they support distress or freedom? Am I holding to an identity or view of dominance or subordination? What is felt in this body? Does this distress have an element of craving, selfishness, or ill will in it? Do I believe this experience to be personal or permanent? How is it what's changed? How is what's cha- happening, changing? Mm-hmm. Oh, five more minutes. OK. And for finally, nurture. So it is hard, you know, to meet this massive pain. It is hard. So how do you take care of yourself in the, in the midst of this inquiry? Um, obvious ones like meta, yes. I'm here, we're safe, I forgive you, I love you. Um, and I like this one. one. you one, you may nurture yourself by surrendering to a larger field of kindness with imagery. For example, the stability of mountain, the vastness of sky, the coolness of a still pond, or warmth warmth of fire, and whatever these elemental feelings that y- it's helpful to you, you know, invite them in, you know, bathe yourself with this energy, and really get acquainted with what is my um, tendency, tendencies. So. We all have this kind of energy, right? Some people have a lot of fire. Some people have a lot of water. I don't know if all of you guys can relate to this kind of imagery, but to inquire, you know, maybe I'm always angry. I'm I'm always a little sad. You know, I always feel sleepy. I feel restless all the time. All these qualities of energy, you can start to inquire. I really wanted to talk about this Hotsukamun, but I think I'm running out of time here. <laughs> um, and it's wonderful, this, this uh, Hotsukamun is it's wonderful because you know, by listening, um, no doubt will arise in us. So as we listen, we bow, right? We bowed, we got, we're engaged, fully engaged. We listen, we listen, what happens? we, as we listen, we sit on the uh, zabuton of trust. So we start to develop and we start to cultivate. The trust doesn't come right away like this, it doesn't. We cultivate trust and we cultivate, we trust each other when we cultivate together. That process become actually accelerated as we trust each other. And then eventually we re- we renounce worldly affairs, and finally the great earth and all living beings together will attain the Buddha way. So we'll um, befriend with our earth. It doesn't say here in this translation, but um, when I saw the Japanese, actually it says that with this big earth we make friendship. So, are we ready to do this together? (laughs) I hope so. I hope so. And I hope that we can hold each other in this process. However painful as it is, um, let's hold each other. Thank you. Intentions equally penetrate every...